Good morning again. I hope you are blessed this morning. I hope we are, as we continue our time uh, in Romans chapter 11, um, that you've been able to uh, kind of keep up with, with us and uh, keep in step, so to speak. Um, I know we're going through a section um, that has been relatively, could be somewhat confusing or somewhat um, repetitive, but at the same time, I hope you're learning something each and every um, Sunday service, particularly about Israel and the Gentiles and the gospel of Jesus Christ. With all that being said, one of the things that I have experienced over the 19 years of ministry um, that I have been called to thus far um, is that as Christians, as believers, we have a hard time with a couple different areas. I, 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 I think it's safe to say we have a hard time with a lot of different things, right, as we try to live in this world as believers called to uh, by God. But one of the things that I have found over and over again that seems to be a, a uh, common thread, so to speak, amongst um, uh, quite a bit of us, including myself, is um, we have a hard time really processing and understanding this realm of forgiveness and grace and mercy. What do I mean by that? What, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of context on what I mean by that, but then we're going to look at a particular word um, that God gives us, that God uh, has as part of his his gospel that God has as a great um, form of his foundation of our faith. Uh, but we, we have a hard time dealing with forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And we go one way or the other, one way or the other. One way that a lot of us go is we're very hard on ourselves. When we sin as Christians, now let, let me put a little disclaimer. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're still processing the claims of Christ, you're like, look, I'm, I'm not a believer, you know, and this and that and so on and so forth. And that's fine. That's great. Keep coming. Keep asking questions. That's what we're here for. If you're here and you're like, okay, I'm secure in my faith. We've went through this, Pastor Raph. I, I know where I stand before the Lord. Awesome as as Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we we get and hit the gospel very very frequently on our Sunday mornings, um, and hopefully this will continue to feed you and reassure you and help you with this. But a lot of us Christians we struggle with forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and we tend to lean towards one of these two areas. One is we are hard on ourselves and we feel that we're not worthy when we're sin when we sin, right? And I've talked about that quite a bit about the downward spiral to where when we we up here and we're living and and we're spiritually walking with the Lord and and in the Holy Spirit right and and, and we're functioning and we're going and uh, as imperfect as we are and when we sin we feel as almost as if we fall and when we fall we have that that choice right here when we fall and that's either to seek forgiveness and repentance to rise back up right or to be hard on ourselves and think that we're not worthy and allow Satan to continue to pull us further and further and further down. So on one end, as believers, we, we have that mentality. We have that attitude. We allow that emotion to take over us as we are not worthy. I've heard this over and over again over the past 19 years of ministry that I've been a part of. A large majority of it has been here in this community but what that understanding is, Christians struggle with forgiveness, with repentance, receiving God's grace and his mercy. We struggle with that. Why? Because we feel we're not worthy. In one way, that's a very healthy thing. You're right. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. We get to the forgiveness part, and it's like, ah, I'm not worthy of that forgiveness. Absolutely, 100% accurate true why because what's the next part of forgiveness and repentance grace what is grace undeserved favor so yes you're not worthy of it but god's giving it to you god allows you to experience it god blesses you with that regardless 
regardless. So as we, we stumble and we fall, we don't, have, we don't feel or we don't think we're worthy. So we don't seek forgiveness. We don't seek repentance. Ultimately, be to, re- to be restored back into a right relationship with God. And what we do, we go further and further down. That's why a lot of Christians deal with depression. A lot of Christians struggle with habitual sin. A lot of Christians struggle with, I'm not going to go back to church because I feel like I'm not worthy. I feel like I shouldn't be in church. I feel like I'm a hypocrite. All things that I experience myself. That's one end. What's the other end? The other end is, oh well, I'm saved, I live my life. I got my free ticket, get out of hell card, it's in my back pocket, the pastor gave it to me, I'm good, do what I want. And when we fall, we have a hardening of our heart, a callous heart, and a rejection of the convictions that the Holy Spirit is giving us, that's if we are truly saved. And we don't seek repentance. We don't seek forgiveness. We continue to sin and say, I'm worthy. I'm worthy. I'm worthy. Two different ends of the spectrum. Something I constantly see over the many years of ministry that I've done doesn't matter what generation it is. doesn't matter age group, demographic. doesn't matter. It's a common thread in the Christian faith. We see those, they sin, they feel they're not worthy. It's hard for them to come back. They need to be shepherded through that. There are those who sin and be like, it doesn't matter. I'm saved. God's going to forgive me anyways. An abuse Of God's what? Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. These are two things that we see. One of the the things that we are going to really focus on this morning is the word mercy. God's mercy. I want to give you a definition of God's mercy. This is just the Webster's Dictionary, the basic general worldly definition of the word mercy. Mercy, in the Greek, it's elio, E-L-E-E-E, with a little line at the top, O, okay, in the Greek. Regular dictionary says, uh, mercy is compassion, forgiveness, shown towards someone who has the power to cause harm, Okay. Compassion, forgiveness shown towards someone who has the power to cause harm. A lot of you know my background. I'm ex-military, ex-federal officer. I have that background, okay? I've been in, done, done a lot of things, been through a lot of things. God decided to show me mercy, right, and grace, okay? I used to, as I did youth ministry at younger, uh, many years ago, I would always tell my parents, don't worry, God has prepared me well for your teenagers because I was ex-military and ex-law enforcement, so therefore I can handle your teenagers. But one of the things that, as, as I read this, it's mercy is compassion, forgiveness shown towards someone who has the power to cause harm, right? And so uh, the, some of the, the, the guys that live here, right, I show them mercy, Right? Same thing with my children. I show them mercy. I have the, the power to cause harm. Right? Worldly wrath. Right? Godly pastor wrath. Show mercy. Okay? Um, some of you have asked and I've shared stories about my past and upbringing and so forth. And it's like I'm a very different person. Some of my military buddies that I continue to keep in contact with, they still don't believe that I'm a pastor. And so I, well, here's, here's my sermons. You know, go listen to them. You know, um, no, that's okay. Like, all right, well, you know, and it's continuing uh, ministry to them and their families. But that's a form of worldly mercy, 
right? I had a, a, a pastor explain it to me this way. It's like the pit bull and the chihuahua. And the chihuahua won't stop barking and pestering the pit bull. And the pit bull just sits there like, this guy again. That pit bull shows mercy to the chihuahua, right? Because ultimately, that dog is a snack to the pit bull. And he chooses not to make him a snack, okay? Worldly mercy. What is the biblical understanding of mercy in accordance to God and his word? It's to show compassion. Okay, there's a similarity there. Compassion. This is where it changes up. Extending help for the consequences of sin. Biblical mercy has anything and everything to do with sin. What about sin? The consequences of sin. So this is going to be part of our understanding, part of our study, part of our look into God's word this morning as Paul continues to bring us down the path of understanding of the what? Stumbling of the Israelites and the gospel coming to the Gentiles and the blessing of the Gentiles, but still with the understanding and the warnings to the Gentiles is saying, look, yeah, they are still my chosen people. They have stumbled, they've hardened their hearts and they are pushed out right now, but there's still a time for them where they will come back to me. And this is what we've been looking at in the past couple of weeks specifically. Paul's going to continue on this path, and it's going to be one more sermon next week that will kind of summarize that up to a certain extent, but we're going to see a lot of it here, okay? We looked at a big part of that, of the grafting in of the olive tree and some of the branches that were broken off, and so then the Gentile branches could be grafted in, ultimately into what? God's grace, God's mercy, God's saving faith in and through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. One of the things that I truly believe is we need to have a better understanding, a healthy understanding, a true biblical understanding of God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy. We must. A lot of it comes from worldly understanding that we have in our minds, just like love. I could do a little survey on love, and I've said this before, of not just our church, other churches, other Christian groups and say, here, explain God's love. Explain love according to Scripture. And everyone, we're going to have something different. But implanted in that, we will see seeds of the world. Because we've greatly diluted true biblical godly love. And we've diluted it in such a way it looks more like the world than it does like the Scriptures. And so if you want to know more about that, I'd be more than blessed to talk to you about it. I'm not going to elaborate too much more because I've preached on that plenty in the recent past. But may we have a healthy understanding of mercy. So before we pray and we get into our text this morning, how do you define mercy? How do you view God's mercy? you're like me, I lean more this way. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. Who am I? And I, I get knocked down. And then right here is the struggle. It's the struggle. And it's either I'm going to keep going on that slippery slope, that downward spiral, or I'm going to be like, man, and seek God's forgiveness through repentance so he can lift me back up. So I always give you guys the example of what? Peter stepping out of the boat and walking towards Jesus and then falling into the water, just sinking into the water. He's going to drown and he calls out for help. That image always comes back to me. That scripture always comes back to me when I look at forgiveness and repentance and mercy and grace and my sin. And as Jesus pulls him up, 
He says, why do you have little faith? It's the same thing for us. So how do you view God's mercy? How do you view repentance, seeking forgiveness, embracing, accepting, experiencing God's true, holy grace? Before we go any further, let me pray, and then we will get into our text this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us and blessed us with. Lord, as we dive into this passage here in Romans chapter 11, we ask for your living word to press deeply into our hearts. May we have ears to hear, Lord God. And may we allow these words in the Holy Spirit to ultimately draw us nearer to you and change the way that we live our lives so that it may reflect you and not this world. Thank you for loving us. Bless us this time, and may this message be of you and no one else. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're diving into Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 32 this morning. Please follow along as I read our text for our study this morning. It's in verse 25 says, Lest you be wise in your own sight. I want you to understand this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Verse 28. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake, but as regards uh, election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So we're going to start with verse 25. Let me reread it just to bring us back to um, what we're going to focus on kicking this off is lest you be wise in your own sight. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. So we might be able to read this. And if you've been tracking with us through the past several weeks on Paul dealing with not only the Israelites and where they are now, but then dealing with the Gentiles, making sure they're not going to be arrogant, right, and prideful and look down upon the Jews and say, ah, we're grafted in now, we're the chosen ones now, but truly helping them understand. So if you, you would be able to see, excuse me, you would be able to see here in verse 25, right, some of what we've already covered. But there's some things in here that I'm sure like, okay, what does that mean? What is Paul saying here? So let, let's, let's briefly walk through some of this and then get into some deeper parts. Then as we get through 25, we'll hit 26 and 27, and it'll really reveal some more things to us at that point. Now, Paul continues to reveal that the future restoration of Israel is not only a possibility, but it's assured. It's guaranteed. Okay? This stumbling, this fall, it's a temporary thing. It's not a kicking out of Okay, it's just a temporary thing, right? Paul wants the Gentiles to know something even deeper than what he's already has revealed to them. He says he doesn't want them to be ignorant, wise in their own understanding, okay, in their own eyes, right? They need to know the full extent of Israel's stumbling and restoration. Now, I wanted to kind of stop here and segue off to another main point, but I'm not going to do that. So I didn't even put much in my notes here. I'm just going to kind of verbally communicate to you that now as we move along just for time's sake. But a lot of us, we're wise in our own understanding, the scriptures tell us. We're wise in our own understanding. 
This is why a lot of times I approach conversations or Bible studies. It's like, look, I understand you have your experiences, your emotions, your thoughts, your opinions, okay, which is fine. There's a time for that and a place, but we do not apply that to this. Why is that? Because what we're trying to do is taking what we've experienced, our thoughts and our emotions on this earth and push them into God's word. This is what God's word says. This is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what I've experienced. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is this. God's saying, this is what I command. This is how you should live. This is what you should do. This is what you should think. This is how you should function and push that into our lives. Why? This is what is called the transforming and renewing of the mind. Very, very simple. We are a new being, a new creation. We've been bought with a price, right? We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to him. And in and through belonging to him, he says, here, this is how you to live your life. This is why I'm always saying we need to have a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview. We view everything in the world through God's word. The thing is, as we begin to explain away God's word, we begin to water down God's word. We begin to, you know, cut off our own branches from God's word. And ultimately, why? Because it's not how we want to live. It's not comfortable for us. It doesn't fit into our lifestyle. The thing is, if we both truly belong to him, it's not our lifestyle, it should be his. I should remind you of a previous sermon, are you living a lifestyle or a label? Anyone can call themselves a Christian, but not everyone lives it. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's something that we desire. Why do we desire? Because of our love for God. Ah, then we begin to truly see what godly love is, and that's sacrifice. It's sacrifice. So as we have an understanding to where we are wise in our own understanding and wise in our own eyes, in the same way Paul says, look, I don't want you to be wise in your own eyes, your own understanding. Why? Because if I leave this a mystery, if I leave this undealt with in your life, in your knowledge about the promises and the covenants and the guarantees or my view of or my plan for the Israelites— you're going to fill in those blanks on your own. This is why here at Kaleo Church, we go through expository preaching, verse by verse. We skip nothing. Some things we spend more time on than others, but we go verse by verse. This is why we've been in Romans since the end of last year. This is why we preach this way. It's why we don't do topics. Okay? We don't. It's one of the reasons why I always say, look, this is how God's word should be taught to you. Why? If I don't fill in those blanks through God's word, then you will fill them in on your own. It's the same way, same thing. This is why it's so important to be in God's word. That's why it's so important to be in Bible studies, to be in personal devotion time and studying God's word on your own. Why? Because having an hour, hour and a half here each Sunday ain't going to do it. It's going to help. It's my prayer. Are you fed? Fill in those blanks? I, I, I heard, uh, man, I forgot his name. I had a pastor, I heard a pastor use it in a sermon one time. He says, we have moved to a type of Christianity that I call Costco Christianity. We come to church when we need it, we, we stock up on a bunch of what we need, and we take that, and we don't come back to church until we need some more. Thing is, is that's not the Scriptures. So we are wise. We feel that we are intelligent in our own minds. God tells us that's folly, that's rubbish, 
that's uh, prideful and stumbling, that, that the, the knowledge and intellect of this world is nothing compared to that of God. And see, Paul doesn't want the Gentiles to fall into that trap. It's one of the, way, one of the reasons why we here at Kaleo do things the way that we do. It must and always be in and through God's Word. It must. It's not about first opinions, Pastor Raph. It's not about clinging to some, uh, some famous pastor or preacher or, or this or that. It, it, it's none of that. It's none of that. We must truly see and uphold God's word above all things. Not man, not opinion, not experience, not culture, not the world. The word of God. This is the only constant true thing that we have. And as we cling to it, we become constant and true ourselves. So here, as Paul says, look, I don't want you guys to go astray. I don't want you to fill in the, the blanks here about the Israelites, about my promise to them, about my guarantee to them, about my restoration of them. I, you need to understand this. Paul continues on. So Paul reviews a mystery to them, not a worldly one, but a spiritual one, a spiritual truth that is not of man. This is of God. And this is what he talks about here, this mystery. So up to this point, it has not really been revealed or explained to them. He wants to let, let them know and help them understand that this hardening of the Jewish hearts has not affected the whole nation. And remember, it's not the, it's not the whole nation has been kicked out. It's like right now it's going to be this temporary blindness. They're not going to see or accept Jesus why? Because of their turning their back on, and then that allowed for the Gentiles to come in. That was our message last week. But there still will be some that are converted. There's whole ministries out there dedicated to witnessing to Israelites, witnessing to Jews, to show them that the Messiah has come, Jesus Christ has come, and the work that he's done on the cross, converting them to Christianity. It's basically what we see of all the New Testament church. To let them know that, like, look, this isn't permanent. This is temporary. Even though some of the Jews may get saved during this time, the blindness will continue until, and, he, and this is very interesting here at the end of verse 25, until the last Gentile is saved. And this is an this is talking about the fullness. The fullness. Now, this fullness coincides with the rapture, right? This is end time stuff of Jesus' second coming, right? Before his second coming, Christians are taken. All true believers are taken up. Now, this right now, currently what we live in, is the time of the Gentiles, the reign of the Gentiles, so to speak. And that will continue on until, what, the end times begins and starts with the rapture to a certain extent. There's a lot of things that are happening, different things that are happening that are going on, pressing towards that. We don't know the time or the day, okay? We just continue to push forward faithfully, Right? But it says that's going to continue until the last Gentile is saved. Now, there's some, um, some out there that believe you, it's like, man, this guy right here, this one could be the last Gentile. I'm going to bring Jesus back. And they'll actually go and like, you need to be saved. All these people are depending on you to be saved. And they're like, what? You're freaking me out. Come on. And there's some denominations that they, that's how they evangelize. That's their belief. Now, those that have been here for, for more than a minute, you know that's not the true gospel. 
But basically, this is what Paul is saying. Look, until the last Gentile is saved, God knows. God's ordained that. God's orchestrating that. That's taken place. But until that happens, right, this temporary blindness, temporary hardening of their hearts, of the Jewish, of the Israel people, will continue. It will continue. This refers to the time of all what we've been talking about, what we're living now, Gentile times, the reign of the Gentiles, Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 24. It says, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Okay, we see it again here. Jesus is speaking. He's giving us some prophecy. 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is what Paul is talking about. Last Gentile is saved according to God's plan. Coming of the Lord. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to continue on because essentially 25 is kind of an a, a introduction or a, a precursor to or segues us into verses 26 and 27 and following Back to our text in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, it says, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Okay, so this is all Israel will be saved. All right, so we saw verse 25, and it says in this way. So this is all part of the mystery on how Israel will be brought back to God in and through Jesus Christ. And it says, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So we went from, hey, Gentiles, this is why you have the gospel, because Israelites did this, so I did this to make room for you. So now you have the gospel. It's your turn. It's your time. But don't thumb your nose at them, okay? We talked about that last week, about those that continue to attack Israel, those that continue to attack the Jews, are very, very anti-God, anti-Christ. Why? Because, this, because the enemy, because Satan uses people like that to continue to attack God's chosen people. Even though their time kind of, finished up for a, a, a season, and now it's to the Gentiles, but it's going to swing back over to them, and they constantly are being attacked, persecuted, right? Slaughtered, all these things. Anyone who attacks Israel and the Jews doesn't know the scriptures, violate God's word. It's that simple. Look into the world, and we can see those who are attacking Israel and the Jews Very easy to identify. Now, let's get back. I know I addressed that uh, quite a bit last week. Understanding of what's going on here and the Gentiles knowing like, okay, don't thumb your nose at them. They're still still my people. Just right now, I'm kind of putting them in time out. I'm going to come back to them. It's your turn now. I'm going to deal with you. We get to more of that in a moment. 
So now when Israel's blindness is removed at the time of the rapture, that does not mean all of Israel will be saved. Okay, I know it says here, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Okay, but it's not a literal all. Okay, it's not. Salvation through Christ and Christ alone is still in effect. It's not like, okay, we brought Jesus for the Gentiles, their time is done. Jesus returns, and now all, if you were ever born, whatever, uh, Jews, you're saved now. We know that's not true. Paul's already dealt with that earlier on in Romans. Look, you might be circumcised of the flesh, but that doesn't mean you're saved. It doesn't mean you're circumcision of the heart. It, it, just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you're saved, doesn't mean you're part of my chosen remnant, my chosen people doesn't. Same thing in Christianity. Just because your parents were Christian and you're born in a Christian home, raised in a Christian church, doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't. Those of you that know my wife, that's her testimony. Born in a Christian home, raised in a Christian church, she was not saved. She didn't get saved till later on in life. Those things do not save you. In it through Jesus Christ and Christ alone is it. So Jews will be converted through the tribulation period, not through the tribulation itself during that period. So the rapture has happened. Jesus now returns, and now it's time for the Jews, for Israel to be brought back to God. Through who? Through Jesus. This is separate from the remnant. Some of us who talk about or know about the remnants that are left to do God's work, okay, that aren't necessarily uh, uh, Israelites or Jews, this is separate from them. Don't confuse the two. Don't think that the remnant are the Israelites, are the Jews on Jesus' second return, okay? Um, this verse is a very direct reference to all believing Jews and the Lord Jesus Christ's millennial rule will be associated with Mount Zion. Why? Because it's been predicted, it's been said, it's already been foreseen, right? I'm going to take you to a couple Old Testament pieces that will help us understand this a little bit further. And so we see the reference here, and the reference is from Isaiah. We're going to specifically look at Isaiah 59 verses 20 and 21, then I'm going to take you to a passage after Isaiah that I, I don't think I have up here. Um, I'm going to go left a little bit in your Bibles to Isaiah 59. There's also a, a little bit of a cross-reference in Isaiah 27. We're not going to go there. You can write it down in your notes if you want. Look at it later. Um, Isaiah 59, verse 20. Verse 20 and 21. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So he's talking about their falling away, right? He's talking about their falling away. But then he also then begins to talk about the new covenant with the Israelites, right? Where's that? Let's go to Jeremiah 31. Just a little bit to the right. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel 
and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So we see it's a different covenant than that which has already taken place. It's going to be a future covenant, okay? My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer, okay, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Sound familiar? Okay, it's what we looked at over in Romans chapter 11. We see these different prophecies, these different things that, that God is declaring, right? And in and through declaring these things, this is all part of God's ultimate plan. This is not something that he just came up with, and Paul's like, oh, okay, there's a new plan that God's going to have. Let me tell you this mystery. And it's like, well, it's, it's kind of already been there. But guess what? The Gentiles were not what? Raised with the Torah, with the Old Testament. They won't. They weren't. Paul referenced that briefly as we move on, but here we see what God's plan was all along. God shall take away their sins under the terms of the new covenant. There will be a time Jews will become believers and turn to Jesus Christ. There will be a time. Let's move on. Verse 28 and 29, Romans 11. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. Interesting, right? But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Hmm. So we see here, it's a reminding of the Gentiles, look, right now they're enemies of God for your sake. That's how the gospel came to you. That's the plan I had. So then now I can make room for you, Gentiles. Okay? Remember that? Remember that teaching? So Paul summarized all this up in Israel's present state or their present status by saying they are enemies in the sense of being cast off, set aside alienated from God's favor so that the gospel might go forth to the Gentiles, okay? But we should know that that's only half of it. Concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers. So they are set aside, enemies of God, separated from God during this time for the Gentiles, but they're not kicked out completely. They're not forgotten. They're not completely uh, cast out, so to, so to speak, from God's favor. Why? Because of the favor of the forefathers from the forefathers, basically going back to the promises that God has made to the forefathers of the New Testament Jews, the New Testament Israelites. This is why. This is what we see here in verse 29 as well. We should know that this is not all of it. This is just part of it, okay? Because there's more to come. From the perspective of God's eternal choice, Israel will always be his covenant people. And the reason they are still beloved is that God's gifts, God's calling, God's promises are never rescinded. He doesn't go back on his word. God never takes back his gifts. Once he has made an unconditional promise... And we must not forget it. We must not forget it. We were reminded of this in Romans 9. And I know it's been a while for some of us, or maybe we didn't even, we, we weren't here or around or able to hear or wa uh, watch the sermon. But um, let's turn back there briefly. It's just a little 
maybe a page, two at most in your Bible to Romans 9. Okay, just going to briefly look at verses 4 and 5. Paul already has dealt with this multiple times. I'm going to just pull out these two verses for us to remind us. It says, verse 4, chapter 9 of Romans, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. It's like these things belong to them. These things belong to them. God's just not going to be, all right, you know what? Forget it. You're all done with. Okay? I'm taking it back. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. We see here in verse 28, going back just a little bit, of how it's now to the Gentiles, and they're in God's favor, but look, their election is still there. What is that? They've already been chosen. It's done. It's been decided. They're just kind of like in time out right now. Nope. 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 Your time will come. Just wait. Be patient. Deal with your punishment. Let's continue on to verses 30 and 31, Romans chapter 11. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may know, they also may now receive mercy. So mercy is a big part of what Paul is trying to communicate to the Gentiles. Because what he's dealing with now, what's in front of him is, hey, the, you guys have thumbed your nose at us Gentiles for so long that you are so much better than us, that you are so much more blessed than us, that we are heathens, worthless beings. Ah, but now we're saved. Now we have the blessings and the glory. We are now above you, right? And it's this whole switch, and God's saying, look, yes, but no. You don't treat them like that. Just because they were privileged before and how they reacted and how they responded, and now it, the role's kind of switched, you don't treat them lesser than. You don't treat them worse you don't have the mentality of revenge or I need to get back or I need to this or I need to that. That's the world. A lot of what I'm saying should resonate with some of you. This is what we've been seeing the past two, three, four, five years in our culture. Absolutely sinful garbage, rubbish. Christians should have no part of it. So we see here, it's like, look, Gentiles, you don't mistreat the Jews. Don't. Remember when you were all messed up? Remember when you were heathens? We had nothing to do with me? Look where you are now. You've experienced my grace and my mercy. Ah, mercy. Compassion. Helping with someone to deal with their sin. Restraints. God can simply say, up, oh, you're done. Up, oh, you're done. But he has mercy. He has restraint. Why? Before his love for us. See, that's the thing that where we fail tremendously, especially right now in our current climate and in our current culture as Christians. We show no mercy. Ah, they look what they did to us. Let's do it back to them. Let's do this. Let's do that. It's like, ah, oh, wait a second. That's not, that's not what the Bible teaches us. We don't retaliate. See, the thing we need to have understanding is, is this is what Paul is teaching to the Gentiles. You've experienced God's mercy in abundance. Right? What does God tell us? 
We must learn. We must understand. We must embrace the command that says we must freely forgive as we've been freely forgiven. But as Christians, we have a hard time with that. We have a hard time with forgiving ourselves. We have a hard time of forgiving others. We have a hard time of letting things go. We have a hard time of receiving God's grace. We have a hard time of offering grace. We have a hard time of receiving God's mercy. We have a hard time of offering mercy. In our effort to be loving, we are more condemning than anything because we feel that it's, we feel as if it's righteous, as it's right, it's justifiable, it's okay. But Paul is warning the Gentiles here, look, they might be outside of my grace right now, they might be outside of my blessings right now, and you're in it. That doesn't mean you get to act a fool. That doesn't mean you get to look down on them. Because within that act, within that thought, within that belief, you are sinning. You are abusing my grace and my mercy and my purpose for you. See, as believers, we need to understand what all of this means. Why? Because we do the same thing. We don't fall victim to sin. We don't fall victim to emotion. We don't fall victim to thoughts. It's a choice. You're not a victim. You are the decision maker. You chose to feel that way. You chose to think that. You chose to act that way. You chose. It's one of the things we need to get back to. It's taking responsibility for our actions. This is what Paul is trying to call them out on. He's like, look, don't do this. Because guess what? You were worse than that before. And see, some of us that may resonate if we're over here on mercy and forgiveness and grace. Oh, I'm saved. I'm good. I, what, I can treat people, act whatever, this, that. I don't need to read my Bible. Whatever the world tells me I should believe, whatever social media tells me, nah, I'm going to believe that. No filter whatsoever. Well, we're over here and we struggle with it. Struggle with forgiveness and grace and mercy and repentance. Not because we don't want it, not because we don't care about it, not because we, we feel that we're, we're privileged now because we're saved and we can act and do whatever we want. That we feel unworthy. The thing is, the two, that needs to be completely just off the page altogether. No longer exists in our lives. Why? Because it all should be centered in what? The cornerstone, the foundation, the Savior, the cross, in and through Jesus Christ. That's it. Paul is choosing and continuing and pressing upon the Gentiles. Do not, do not. We must continue to cling to the desire of showing the Jews mercy and love we must understand that Israel's restoration will be brought about by the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gentiles need to understand this because they've experienced God's mercy. And he's like, the Israelites are going to experience my mercy again too. So a question I have for all of us here, have you experienced God's mercy? Have you truly experienced God's mercy? Turn me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Don't worry, we're almost done. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. I'm going to go a little bit further than verse 14, just a couple verses. Bear with me. I thank him who has given me strength. 
Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy from his reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. It's going to bring us right into verse 32. This is Paul speaking, persecutor of the church, Pharisee of Pharisees, sinner of sinners. Those over here, it's like, ah, I'm not worthy. It's a lie. It's true, but it's a lie. You alone are not worthy, but you and Jesus Christ are worthy. There's grace, mercy. Ah, not because of you, you did nothing. God saved me because I'm amazing. God saved me because I'm needed. It's all worldly things. God saved you so his glory could be known. God showed you mercy so his glory could be known. See, that's one of the things where we as Christians fail daily. God showed me favor. God forgave me. God elected me. I have his grace. I experienced his mercy. Why? So that his glory could be known. Do we get that? Do we see it? Do we understand it? Do we know our purpose? Verse 32 for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So this glory can be known. Now, when we first read this verse, we might get the idea that God arbitrarily condemned both Jews and Gentiles to unbelief and that there was nothing they can do about it. Ultimately, we need to understand and we clearly have seen the unbelief was their own doing. We must remember that God is not the author of sin. God allowed man to pursue his sinful desires so that he could receive glory by demonstrating his grace and mercy to disobedient sinners. God has shown his mercy to the Gentiles and he will show his mercy to the Jews as well. Just like those that I have past dealings with from the military and so on and so forth. And they're like, man, I, I, how are you a pastor? Because of God's mercy. I don't, I don't understand. How, how did you go from this to this? Because of God's grace. Not, uh, I work hard at it. I'm amazing. God had no choice. Are you kidding me? It's for his glory. His glory. Pastor Raph, great sermon. Praise God. Pastor Raph, I fell asleep during your message this morning. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for God's wisdom and discernment and strength more. Apparently it was too much of me and less of him. His glory, not mine. So I always tell you guys, please do not say, well, Pastor Raph said this, Pastor Raph said that. Understand, learn, discern, say, the scriptures say this. 
The scriptures say this. Jesus Christ said this. God said this. Just another sinner saved by grace, just like you. For his glory, not ours. We received his mercy for his glory. For his glory. So how do you receive God's forgiveness? How do you receive God's grace? How do you receive God's mercy? When you're on that downward spiral, when you stumble, when you fall, where do you go? Do you sit there and take up camp? It's like, well, I failed again. I'll just sit here for a minute. Oh, I failed. What's the point now? I'll just keep on failing. Or you don't even realize you failed. And the Holy Spirit's just trying to get at you. What do I mean by that? It's convictions. I don't like that passage, Pastor Raphael. That's a conviction. Why did you preach that passage? Why did you preach that verse? That's a conviction. That's not conflict with me and you. That's conflict between you and God. He wants to prick your heart. He wants to stir something up. It's conviction. Conviction brings response. Response brings change. Change brings a walk to be more like Christ. Sanctification. How do you receive God's mercy? We're going to close with Hebrews chapter 4. Let's go back right in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do you do with God's mercy, God's grace, His forgiveness? We need to stop allowing the world to press upon us the sins, the nature of that, and all that it entails, all that it brings, pressing you down, pulling you away from God's from God's grace and mercy. Hey, live. And as we live, as we go, we what? Honor God. Talk about God. Share God. What? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We stumble and we fall. We deal with that sin. How do we deal with that? We repent. Seek forgiveness. Whether just with God or with others, depending on the sin. Receive His grace and mercy. Come back up. Growth. Now we don't sin. We are not on God's path. It's like, okay, I need to sin today so I can grow. That's not how it works. We stay the course. Stay the course. You will stumble. You will fall. But what do you do with that? We keep going down. We sit there. Do we get depressed? We get hard on ourselves. We say, forget it. I'm not worthy. I don't care. We need to do a spiritual heart check when that happens. Maybe we need to make phone a friend. A friend that's going to say, hey, get up off the side of the road. We can do this together. Someone that reads scripture to you. Someone that will pray for you. Someone that's going to encourage you. Not someone that's going to help you in your sin. 
What I mean by help, uh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We all struggle just, you know. We need to be in a right relationship with God. And in and through that is experiencing God's mercy. God's mercy has everything to do with pulling us out of sin. Not sinning and God not striking us down as we sin. That's not mercy. We have a wrong understanding of God's love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy. We have a, a, an unhealthy understanding to, at, at certain points in our time. Why? Because our logic, our flesh gets in the way. Should be seen in here in Hebrews and even in James and in Romans and all these different areas. We have a God that understands. He knows. And no matter where you are this morning, whether broken, frustrated, confused, joyful, blessed, no matter where you are this morning, God understands. God knows. And His grace and mercy is right there for you. Don't leave the blanks to the world. Allow God to fill in those blanks for you, just as Paul did for the Gentiles. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us in our time together this morning. As we continue to journey through your word, Lord, my prayer is that we would be convicted to the point of changing to be more like you. To continue to rely on you, to continue to have the faith in you to deal with our sin, our shortcomings, our failures. So Lord, continue to use your word in a mighty way. Continue to change our lives in a way that honors you above all things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.